This week we read The Adventure of the Speckled Band. This episode is a special, we'd like to dedicate it to uh, the memory of Mr. Steve Irwin, and we would also like to inform our listeners, in case they were concerned, that no baboons, cheetahs, or snakes were harmed in the making of this episode. No. RSVP Steve Irwin. Game is afoot, all our buddies. Welcome back to the final Podblum, the only Sherlock Holmes read-through podcast. It doesn't have an intro goof this week. Uh, I'm your host, Casey, and joining me is my other host, who is that over there looking so good in him glasses and him ah, headphones. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Nicholas Cohen, and I read this story on time this week. That's not a lie. I really did I, yesterday. I, yeah, no. <laughs> I did, too. I was not typing notes literally until the moment I opened my computer to start this Skype call. This one time. Yeah, no, I uh, I live-tweeted it as well yesterday. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna have to start tweeting when we release the episodes. We'll tweet our some of our conversations mm-hmm. uh, as we as we read through because we've got things to say. So, Nicholas, yes. of us. the adventure of the of the speckled mm-hmm. band. Did you like I this, love story? this story? <laughs> I love this story too. <laughs> That's why I picked it next because it's just so. I I've been saying this. Okay, listen. I know I've been saying this about every Sherlock Holmes story. How like whack and off the walls it is. This one actually is. Yeah. Like I'm not exaggerating this time. No, this isn't real. just me being like, oh Sherlock Holmes stories. I love them and they're all crazy. But like this one specifically actually warrants that opinion. It's bonkers. It's a yeah. good time. As <laughs> it is because like the last one we did. Noble Bachelor wasn't terrible. It was fine, but it was also an exercise in like Holmes just being adorable and super in control of his little world and, you know, but solving it from his mm-hmm. armchair, mm-hmm. essentially, which is a pretty Holmes yeah. thing to do. It wasn't terrible. It was fine. Uh, but this one, Holmes and Watson just get thrust into a deeply strange yeah, situation. They gotta <laughs> go. They gotta get up and go places and wrangle creatures and. Yeah, it's real good. So, uh, as always, we're gonna be posting links to the free e-text and, uh, an audiobook if we can find it in the show notes uh feel free to read it up it's not super long uh longer than i thought it would be which is why i was <laughs> reading it until 10 minutes ago but still um okay so it opens up watson is reminiscent as he is mm. wont to do and says that throughout the 70 odd cases he and holmes have worked together this is the strangest etc cetera, etc cetera, which i feel like he says every time mm-hmm. but the point is 70 cases is not only more stories than we had seen at this point in the publishing history that is more than the total canon right so you would assume that like this is just doyle's way of just alluding to a case that happened off screen lost adventures but like a ton of them right. he's kind of just implying that like they're they're out trust me they're out here solving mysteries every they're doing day other stuff. that's what they do like they're, it's they're cranking it out like a factory yeah. it's like why well, you're not looking and that's that's a very generous that's a very generous interpretation because i assumed uh that he just straight up guessed how many stories he'd written up to that point <laughs> instead of looking it up <laughs> doyle doesn't know how many stories just he's written a watson doesn't know how many mysteries they've solved it's fine <laughs> they're not details man it's fine so it was a weird one, and and Watson makes it clear that it isn't only that weird crimes happen. It's just that the weird ones are the only ones that Holmes cares yep. about because he is bored. Um, I like the idea of, like, Holmes just not solving cases for a while and kind of just, like, 
running out of money and Watson being like, listen, you, I, you have to take one of these. Like, I know it's just like, I know you know yeah. how, like, everything, but like, just go to the, just go to the police and just tell them real quick so that you can get a paycheck. Like, y'all got, y'all got any crimes? <laughs> y'all got any crimes? You got any pre- <laughs> I could, I could take care of, I could take care of those for you. Just get half a dozen down before lunch and just cut me a check. It's fine. Obviously, it'll be really good for your cleaning. Guys gotta eat. Guys gotta afford cigarettes. <laughs> exactly. And cocaine. And cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> So apparently, uh, Watson does specify that this is, this is actually an old case mm. from their, from their early bachelor days, uh, that he couldn't tell us about earlier because reasons, <laughs> but those reasons have expired. I kind of like that, like, fun little detail where it's like, oh yeah, you know, he didn't have to, he could have just been like, oh yeah, we just solved this yesterday, but it kind of gives it a little more depth, I guess, you know, it kind of makes it seem more realistic, like, yeah, you know, their bachelor boy days and, and like, it's, it's clearly an articulation of just Doyle saying, fuck, why did I marry Watson off? <laughs> Man, how do I explain? I gotta, I gotta write him, like, saying goodbye to his wife every time. Like, every, they're just wasting pages. Like, that's gonna add up over mm-hmm. time. Alright, so what's, so what's going on in this story, so, Nick? um, Watson gets woken up way too early, 7.30. I agree, that is way too early. Way too damn early. By Holmes, who is like, hey, we got, uh, we got a client here. Come, like, get up and help me, help me solve the case. And Watson's like, it's, you couldn't let me sleep in a few minutes but um so they get up and it's like clear by the urgency of how early it is that this is someone in trouble here and we meet helen stoner who is uh kind of she kind of shows up and she's like actually a little bit kind of bashful like hey like nothing has officially happened yet but i'm really scared right and i don't you know i'm like uh, you know, maybe i shouldn't i'm overreacting but and it turns out she's absolutely not overreacting at all she is acting on a completely appropriate yeah, frequency. Um, yeah so just extremely intuitive like i feel like i should go to somebody but probably not the police bring this to someone's attention and yeah yeah she she mentions that she heard about Holmes through her friend Mrs. Ferrintosh, mm-hmm. which is the wildest <laughs> name I've ever heard in my life, and I'm absolutely using it in my next D and D campaign. It sounds like a candle store or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Holmes says, "Oh yeah, her. She was before your time, Watson." And they just move past it. Which what? It's what is this Doctor Who bullshit? Have how many companions has Holmes? It's had? honestly so funny too because like. When you think back to Study and Scarlet, when Holmes and Watson first meet, it's kind of, I don't, you don't, you don't ever actually get their ages, but it's kind of implied that like Holmes has literally been solving mysteries since he was like a wee teen, like when he was a boy. Right. And there's another, um, it's not canon, but I consider it canon because it's so good. Um, another series by, sure. uh, Lindsay Fay, who wrote, uh, uh, she wrote a book called Dustin Shadow, which is a Holmes Jack the Ripper novel. And it's technically oh, yes, published fan fiction, but she is amazing. And she literally just writes like Conan Doyle. It's so, like, in his style nice. that it feels like he wrote it. Okay. We might have to read that at some we point. That sounds absolutely fun. Absolutely should. I freaking love that book. In one of the stories, she does, like, uh, it's it's framed as Holmes telling Watson this in the present day, but he's talking about a case he solved when he was, like, 19 or something before he was even, mm-hmm. like, established as a detective. And so it's kind of implied yeah. that, like, he meets Watson when he's still he's kind of like fresh out of college at that point so he's like 22 mm-hmm. 23 and for some reason they like to show Holmes as and Watson as being like these two old guys or like past middle age when they meet each other but actually they're pretty young that's interesting 
I'm not I, I'm not a big fan of like Muppet babiesization <laughs> of characters. Yeah. Like, you know, your your young Indiana Jones. It's it's bullshit. Don't do it. Um most of the time. They're usually just like so boring. Exactly. But but I can see for someone whose primary trait is being insufferable and way smarter than he should be, <laughs> I could see like a young Sherlock Holmes series being really interesting because and I you're right, they are always portrayed as at least like well, it's middle aged doesn't yeah. mean the same thing in the 1800s that it means right now because like if you yeah. were 30 you were halfway to dead right true yeah <laughs> but like having i i think it's probably a balancing act because having someone that young and that insufferably smarter than everyone i don't know maybe it was just more palatable to have them portrayed as older but still that's that's really interesting mm-hmm. and we're definitely gonna have to read that book because i want to watch uh sherlock fight jack the ripper i think that will be real fun we'll put that on the list it's it's amazing but yeah there was a note i wanted to make when watson woke uh when sherlock woke uh watson up he says very sorry to knock you up watson mm-hmm. but it's the common lot this morning mrs hudson has been knocked up she retorted upon me <laughs> and i on you and this is another one of those linguistic things uh cultural things for for those of our listeners who are not anglophiles in in the parlance of the time to be knocked up was to be woken up and they had they had what they called knock up men <gasps> yes i love this this sounds like something I would make up as fake lies to trick you all, but it's not, I promise. <laughs> they would they would walk throughout the street very early in the morning, and they had long sticks, sticks that were two, three stories tall. God, this just sounds more and more like lies. But uh, it had, like, a little knob on the end, and you gave them your address, and they would knock on your window at the time you needed to be woken up. It was a... um wake-up call it was like a it was like a service it was like a service that you paid for yeah exactly yeah, i didn't you know just that like i knew those guys existed i just thought that they kind of uh-huh. woke up everybody i don't know <laughs> i don't just like <laughs> for free like whether you wanted to or not <laughs> that makes way more dad sense. was a weaker upper i'm a weaker upper i'm gonna die a weaker upper and my son will too <laughs> that makes way more sense <laughs> that you would ask to yeah be... okay got it because alarm clocks didn't yeah okay i i'm <laughs> Did you think I it was know. just a man just randomly going around waking people nobody, up because it was clarified for me? They were just like, "Oh yeah, there were these people who used to like go and tap on people's windows to wake them up." And I was like, eh, "That would kind of suck, actually, if I lived in a city. What if I wanted hey, to sleep? Hey, that? hey, fuck you! Hey, <laughs> I'm you, awake. You should be too. Hey. Wake up and did they come back? Knock harder." I did. That's an excellent question. I don't know. I assume it's like a wake up call in a hotel. You get the one, and if it doesn't work, that's that's your problem. I assume. So anyway, so, ah, the aging yeah, of so language in English, England in England, English just means you knock on the door, wake you up, kind of. Thing. It's not it's... correct, which makes sense. They knock and you get up. <laughs> I don't know what the what the linguistics of the uh, of the American interpretation of the term comes from, even but um, guess. So, uh, Lady of Black, yes, Miss Helen Stoner comes along. She is very anxious. She is the stepdaughter of a man called either Grimsby or Grimesby. <laughs> either way would make me very happy. Yeah. Either way, either great choice. Good. Great, excellent yes. name choice. Conan Doyle gave you every possible indication that this guy was nasty. Yes, uh, he is the last Roy Lot who were an old, rich, white family, so very rich, so very white, laid low by gambling, as so many were. Uh, they were left with uh, 
Only what I think we can agree was probably an extremely haunted house. Oh, yeah. Their last son uh, got himself a medical degree, went to Calcutta, and exploited the dark-skinned people in the proud tradition of his countrymen. <laughs> uh, he got rich, beat a servant to death, and went to fucking he jail. He did do that, yeah. And then uh, he married Mrs. Stoner, the mother of Helen and Julia, while he was in India when the daughters were two mm. years old. So uh, the mother dies in um, an accident. Roylott forsakes medicine. And uh, he and the girls retreated to the ancestral manse uh, to live on savings and slowly go insane. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, he adopts a couple of, not adopts, probably just imports a couple of wild animals and just keeps them for pets. There's a cheetah running yeah. around the grounds. There's a baboon running. Animals that have no business existing in England. Absolutely not. This is not their natural environment. They are not thriving, I guarantee you. Yeah, he falls into an angry depression following the death of his mm. wife um, and becomes something of a punching hermit. Yeah. <laughs> He's an extremely, extremely arrestable local cryptid. <laughs> he throws a blacksmith into a river. We've all been there. He befriends and joins the ranks of the hobos occasionally. Mm-hmm. Just hangs out with them, which, you know. again... You know, sometimes you hear them rails a calling and you just gotta go, uh, you gotta go hang out with, uh, you know, old, old, old pocket lint James and Electric Elbow <laughs> Johnson. Uh, just so you know, Nicholas, an electric elbow was actually a hobo term back in the day when, uh, space on the floor of a boxcar for sleeping was very scarce. An electric elbow was a term for a man who would sew, uh, bits of razor blade into the elbows of his coat. He would use that to carve out space on the floor. Are you serious? Is this, is this a Casey Joker? Is this real? No, I read it. I All read right. it in a book. I love it. It's true. But anyway, he got very sad and very mm. angry. And for for some reason, people found this confusing instead of understandable because his wife died. But also, they were you know a great house that had fallen into disrepute, so people were kind of less charitable toward him yeah. than they might have been. I don't know. Understandable, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't help that he's just kind of a jackass. Apparently, he really is. He just kind of is like. A jerk to everyone, and you find out later in the story that... He threw a blacksmith into a river. <laughs> he throws a dude into a river. You know, he's just kind of like a... Just kind of a nasty guy. And then uh you find out later that a he... A big Mr. Hyde of was, a guy. He, as far as, like, we know, he's not super evil to his daughters, or his stepdaughters. Are they stepdaughters? Yeah, his stepdaughters. But then later on yeah, you find out, like, yeah, he actually is abusing Helen. She has some bruises on her arm, so it's like, yeah, okay, I lose all sympathy for him at that point. <laughs> yeah. He's no longer yeah. a sympathetic protagonist, or villain, rather. So, Helen and Julia are sad pumpkins, because their father is a terrifying <laughs> madman. Um, Julia dies at 30. Her hair's gone all white. Before she died, however, she was engaged to a royal marine, a half-pay major in the marines. What he did to deserve half-pay, I'm certain <laughs> I don't know. Now, here's the thing. Helen explains that Roylott Grimesby, Grimsby, <laughs> that guy, had become extremely controlling, um, as is very common in abusive yeah. relationships, and that they were terrified they weren't allowed to leave the house, they didn't really have any friends or anything, and so when Julia became engaged to this Marine, uh, they were very, very scared. But Roylott really voiced no objection mm-hmm. to it, which was honestly more worrying than if he had said right. anything. But before the wedding, um, she was at their home, she heard strange night whistles. Then there was a storm, Helen goes and finds Julia standing at the window, uh, Julia mentions the titular speckled band. Mm. She indicates Roylott's room, Grimsby's room. Um, there's a lot of discussion in this story about the architecture and floor plan of this so house. So much. You really get like a blueprint almost. <laughs> you do. And 
I don't know if that's just like some literary thing we don't have an equivalent for or if like Doyle just found a house he really liked or some shit. I, I think with it being like a locked room mystery, you kind of he felt like he had to make it really clear what was going on with the what architecture the so that the rules. people couldn't just yeah. be like, oh, but what if they came in this? You know, like it, he had to kind of really clearly tell you like, no, there's no possible way that anyone else, like don't try right. to, there's no gotcha. Like there really is like, you know, it was not a person coming in. These are the rules. Yeah. yeah. So, right. and also I think I could be wrong, but I think in some editions of the story, there is actually like a literal drawing of the house that's pretty cool and so maybe the reason why she describes it so much is because like they couldn't get the drawing into every edition so like because you couldn't see it you had to like he had to just also form a clearer picture in your mind yeah but yeah while while reading it it's kind of just like okay like you're you're trying to picture it in your head and then you sort of do but then it's like okay can we just yeah no i get it it's it's three rooms it's fine i got it i got it so she finds her sister. Julia mentions the titular speckled band indicates Roy Lott's room and collapses never to mm. rise. Now, Nicholas, I've noticed that women do, they seem to do a lot of basically unprovoked dying in these stories. <laughs> yeah. Study in Scarlet, uh, one of them got married to a guy she didn't want to and basically just died of being mm-hmm. sad. Uh, I don't think anyone died in the last one, the Noble Bachelor. No, I don't think so. But uh, yeah, th- so they don't know if there's a cause of death. But um, and that brings us basically to Helen coming to Sherlock and saying, "Yo, something weird's going on." What happens next? Nicholas? Right. So um, she, what happens is uh, the the circumstances of her sister dying was this was two years ago from the time of the this story, and uh, so her sister's right. been dead a couple she of died years. Died at thirty. Yeah, so she's kind of like you know moved on as much as she possibly could and she's like okay yeah this happened but what causes her to go to homes is she uh her her stepfather um is doing some kind of renovations on the house which she doesn't re- she's kind of just like okay that really sounds fake because there's nothing wrong with the house so automatically already that's suspicious right. and it's gets a million more times suspicious her because he, she's now she has to sleep in her sister's old room and she's like i didn't like that and i really right. don't like this so she's in her sister's room at night and i think it's the very night she decides to go to see him where she's in the room and she hears the same whistling sound that her sister claimed mm-hmm. to have heard um on the, the, on the night whistle. that she died and yep. she's like yeah, nope fuck this i'm out like <laughs> and then that's that's what sets yeah. her off and um and Holmes is basically just like yeah no you absolutely did the right thing you should have done that you no, probably could have died good call good call Holmes ascertains that uh that Roylott has indeed been abusing her he notices some mm-hmm. bruises on her on her wrist and asks if uh he and Watson can skulk around the joint without Roylott observing them too much um if there's anybody there and she says we have a housekeeper now but she is old and foolish <laughs> I get that language shifts. We've already talked about that in this episode, but like just calling someone foolish to me seems like such a profound insult that what could this poor old housekeeper have done? Like we told her to invest in Bitcoin, but right. And I just, I don't know. Like foolish is just such a heavy condemnation of a person to me. It could be like maybe because her stepfather hired her and she kind of just has like base mm-hmm. resentment for everything he does and says. So maybe it's just could like, be. maybe it's something to do with that. Basically, the whole first kind of half of the story is them just trying to stay away from this guy, basically stay away from Dr. Roylan. Right. And they, and it kind of is, and it's extremely like, uh, well, first of all, okay. So she leaves. She, she 
gives Holmes her statement or whatever, and they make plans to go meet up at the house later um to mm-hmm. to do the investigation and almost and like right after she leaves Holmes is like okay Watson like, like they're sitting across from each other and he's like all right here's what we're going to do we're going to take the train and like mid sentence he's like what in the devil and this dude comes busting in through the door and he's like as tall he's described as just huge like he's as tall as the door he's, he's a big massive foot. Yeah. he just storms in and he's like where's Holmes and Holmes is just like that that's me anyway <laughs> like what what Yo, just totally present. take it off guard <laughs> And it's Dr. Royla, and he, he basically just, in like a really hilarious scene, only because he's so angry, and Holmes is so calm, which, if you know anything, so if you know yeah. anything about de-escalation tactics, that is not the way to go about it. No, it will often just make people way angrier. Yeah. Like, this scenario is, while not realistic, still hilarious if anything more hilarious because yeah, of how unrealistic so it is like this guy would have just decked the shit out of Holmes honestly he would have and and there's there's just this back and forth of like well I'm Mr. Roylott and I don't like the way you're sniffing around oh well all right well uh please do close the door behind you and it's just just no selling every threat because like he's and again I cannot overemphasize this this man threw a blacksmith into a river oh, I don't know dude. why that's so iconic <laughs> to me but it really sums up everything you need to know about this man and he's in here trying to big dog sherlock mm-hmm. and it's it's just not taking which is making him angrier and angrier and at a certain point he says oh yeah and he reaches for a metal fireplace poker and just goes <laughs> and twists it up like a pretzel he just bends that thing right in half and then he just kind of assumes i guess that that's enough intimidation tactic and he leaves and holmes is just like I rest my case. <laughs> Consider your dog bigged, sir. <laughs> and then it's even fun, cause like, so then he leaves, and then Holmes picks up the poker and bends it right back into shape, and it's just like, it's, it's so ridiculous. Like, this whole scene is just, you're just, wa- I can only imagine Watson just watching this, like, what is going on right now? <laughs> like, well, that was a hell of a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, he's literally flexing. He really for Watson, is, yeah. He's which like, is oh, so good. He wouldn't have done that if Watson hadn't have been there. He would have just kind of been like, all right. Oh, well, no, no. Let's see if I can do this, you know, maybe. He would have just used it that way for the rest of his life. He's just got a twisted poker now and he just tested <laughs> Uh, later on, he, he says they're gonna, later on, they have their, um, uh, their let's ride mm-hmm. moment and he says i should be very much obliged if you would slip your revolver in your pocket uh an elise number two is an excellent argument with a gentleman who can twist steel pokers into knots <laughs> and i love that idea that it's just like oh yeah well i see your uh i see your twisted up poker and i raise you gun a gun yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. Uh, i feel like a gun is a really good argument against most, most things, things yeah i mean and honestly if you think about it so much of the story is just like on a on a purely like from the law like if we were Lestrade standpoint just Holmes breaking all kinds of laws really like he yeah, is essentially like yeah he has he has Helen Soner's permission to be in her house but it's not her house it's technically his house it's technically Dr. Roylott's yeah. house so I mean he's housebreaking consciously and I mean but Watson's also coming with he him is. and also he has a gun so it's just yeah it's a real it's a real proto Batman kind of thing because it calls into question the relationship between like what is right and what is mm-hmm. the law which are not necessarily yeah. the same thing um yeah, and I guess I never really put that together, but I guess Batman really is kind of a kind of an extension of the Holmes archetype. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, he is a detective, and um, I think a lot of the... There's the kind of, like... I don't know. I mean, detectives in general kind of just work with police because of the job, you know, because of who they are. But there's... Right. That's the structure that's in place. There's definitely almost like a spectrum of how friendly these detectives are with the police. I would say Poirot yeah. or like Monk and those types of, type of detectives are much more like willing to work with cops and less likely yes. to break the law, even if it will get them what they need. Um, but stuff, but people like Holmes and Batman <laughs> are, are definitely They're more chaotic, chaotic, like, well, you know, this might not be legal, but it's right kind of thing. And I... Right. Screw the rules. I'm doing what's right. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely personally more of a not that i condone no i absolutely condone breaking the law when you need to (laughs) Um, i mean well see i mean that the the it's it's arguable it's not arguable it's it's a it's a truth that the breaking of an unjust law is in itself uh an act of Mm. justice and of course we could talk about what's a just law and what's an unjust law and that's a whole thing but like the the division between law and morality and the idea that they you know intersect or overlap at any point is uh this i mean this could really easily just turn into a batman uh discussion <laughs> but um let's just go into philosophy deep into philosophy right now in the middle of this podcast <laughs> well it, uh, honestly there well there's a lot there's a lot to talk about and and then i forgot all of it <laughs> <laughs> It's just been been that kind of morning. (laughs) Yeah, we're recording this at the tail end of June 2019. You remember June 2019, right? (laughs) There's a lot going on. We really needed that disclaimer, I think. People were going to be looking up at when these episodes came out, and they're going to be like, oh, some some shit was going down when they were laughing about snakes drinking milk. (laughs) No, I was listening to The Greatest Generation, which is a Star Trek podcast I really love, and I started from the beginning, and they started in, I think, 2015 or something like that. And they were really happy, really happy, and something I I love when you binge Mm -hmm. a podcast that's been around for a while is when you hear, like, changes in the hosts lives like you hear stories about their uh their kids growing up a little bit or something like that but like both of the hosts of that show are vocally liberal compassionate mm-hmm. human beings and like i could hear the tension in their voices as the election got oh, closer yeah. and closer yeah <laughs> and i i just knew that was gonna be a real bad oh, day God. yeah i had the exact i had the exact same experience uh i was really into welcome to night vale for a while i listened to almost all of the episodes yeah, exactly. same thing like as right after the election yep. just the the first episode, Joseph Fink just sighs into the microphone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, me too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Hard same, buddy. God. Anywho. <laughs> Back to Batman. <laughs> Back to Batman. Well, yeah, no, Holmes Holmes is interested in doing what's mm. right. Uh, he's interested in what is correct. And, like, depending on the story, he can be more compassionate or less compassionate. But generally speaking, he's not he's not too worried about the law right. in and of itself he understands that it's a it's a sort of flawed human institution and he kind of considers himself above that as we talked about in the first episode you know he considers himself somewhat above emotion and these sort of petty human chemical concerns because he believes he sees the the, the truth of things the true causes of mm-hmm. things but he uh is very happy to solve this mystery because it intrigues him and here's where some stuff starts getting weird so he does some financial mm-hmm. research and discovers that Roy Lott, while he was a successful doctor, not especially well-to-do financially. Yeah. His wife had a recurring stipend, which made them very mm-hmm. comfortable. But 
that because the money went to his uh, his stepdaughters, to her daughters instead of directly to him, that if even one of his daughters were to get married, it would ruin yeah. him. And this is what we call motive. <laughs> Big motive. Big motive. So they, they take off to, to the estate, which we'll talk about in just one second. And there's a really... You know, the, these stories aren't overly sentimental because they've got a lot of momentum. There's a lot of, let's go, let's do stuff, let's find out the thing mm-hmm. that's happening, action, go. So there's, there's not a lot of time to pause and think or really comment on stuff, but there, there is a small moment where Watson comments that it's a really lovely day. Yeah. And how strange it is, how strange it is to be about such dark business. Mm-hmm. It's just this moment of passing contemplation that really, Reminded me, and I think it reminded all of us, Nick, of the uh, the end of Jurassic Park, <laughs> where they're uh, they're on that helicopter. <laughs> they get on the helicopter and they leave, and the soft piano is playing, and you just see it's these four or five people, I forget how many, just sitting in this helicopter, just silently, mm-hmm. just not even looking at each other, not even interacting, just like trying to understand what just happened to them and what it means for the world right. around them, and and it's just this moment of Watson, like, yeah. I don't know. It's a really nice day, but people are getting murdered, mm-hmm. maybe? <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, I love that moment, too, because not only does it kind of give you a little, like, glimpse into, like, what? Honestly, Watson is just, he's, he's kind of portrayed as being dumb, but I really think that his character is more on the, like, he's just kind of like a pure person. Like, he's just very, like, yeah nice and just once every he can't he just he can't understand why people would murder each other like why would you do that exactly and, and why you gotta just, be killing folks when he points out like the fact that like he realizes that like oh yeah it's a nice day but still dark dark stuff is going on like that's like it's kind of like he kind of just is aware of the irony it's just kind of like it it makes him seem a little more real to me i think and also definitely huge relatable especially with what we were talking about right before this episode where we're just walking along i'm walking up the street to go get my coffee and observing the lovely weather and but with the knowledge that like still all this dark stuff is going on in the world and it's like yeah the world's literally on fire kind of like you know how do you yeah, reconcile, how do you reconcile that? that? Yeah, exactly. L- last night, um, you know, my missus and I went into the city to catch a show. We saw the great Mr. Uh, Mr. Eddie mm-hmm. Izzard and his Wunderbar tour, which was wonderful. But, like, we were trying to park and get something to eat before the program, and there was a protest happening uh, about the massacre in the Sudan that's happening mm-hmm. right now. I say massacre. It could be plural. Right. I don't yeah. know. You know why I don't know? <laughs> because it's getting no fucking mm-hmm. coverage because there's one man dominating every screen Every day of our lives. That's uh, okay. We can't start in on that. But the point is, like, we saw this thing. And we're like, oh, well, massacres are bad, but we have to go watch a funny man tell jokes now. Right, right. <laughs> like, it's there's it's it's this thing about, like, you see things you want to act on and things that are fundamentally wrong in the world. And we're trained and told to act when we see something that's not correct. And we want to. But also, you can't you can't save everybody. You can't mm-hmm. right every wrong in the world. You can't give up your own personhood in an right. attempt and to do that. And at the same time, you can't spend every second of every day devoted to righting the wrong in the world. Like, you have to go see a movie every now and then. No. You have to go, like, yeah, that way buddies. Like, otherwise, you'll go nuts, you know? Exactly, because that would destroy your own humanity. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, man. It's complicated, and there's there's no fucking answers to it. 
Speaking of no answers, I had a story I wanted to tell mm-hmm. you. So there was, uh, this is actually a story from The Greatest Generation. Again, I've been listening mm-hmm. to a lot of it. But one of one of the hosts was talking about how one of his earliest memories of being in a restaurant, he was there with his dad, and he liked to get uh, ketchup with his fries. And he was just a wee boogan. He was just a little, like a mm-hmm. little guy. And so he got his bottle of ketchup, and he went shake a shake a. Mm-hmm. Ketchup did not come mm-hmm. out. Go shake a shake a shake a. Still no ketchup. So he shook it real real hard, and all the ketchup came out, and it got all over him. It got all over the people in the booth behind <laughs> oh, no. them, and he felt really bad. There was ketchup everywhere. So that's enough. But at that precise moment, Nicholas, completely unrelated, completely mm-hmm. coincidentally, in the kitchen, one of the cooks or waitresses uh, had dropped her wedding ring into the deep fryer. And just unthinkingly <gasps> reached for it. Just no. Yeah, just plunged her hand into the boiling oil. And so this sound that emerged from the kitchen, uh, of just, you know, a human at the complete physical uh-huh. limit of what pain humans can feel, uh, just rips out of there at the exact same instant that this poor little boy looks around and sees that he has covered himself and the oh people around him God. in red ketchup. <laughs> And those two memories are just intrinsically, they're mu- they're melded, they're fused. In I would his never head be forever. able to eat ketchup again. Exactly. And, and the whole point of the story was, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, and, and that's really what it is, is that Watson thinks, God, it's a nice day, but this lady's dead. Mm-hmm. And like, what, why can't those two things, wh- how can those two things coexist? in the world at the same time it's kind of, it doesn't if make you any think sense. about it too it's like helen stoner as far as we know the client is a pretty decent nice person like she, she yeah. doesn't really have anything going against her but she is really just having the worst possible time ever like her She's mom is dead yeah. her, her twin died. sister yep. just died two years ago and now her stepdad is trying to kill her with a snake. So it's like... Maybe. What? A snake? Spoiler alert. Where did Spoiler a snake alert. come from, Nicholas? I, I told you I'd find the perfect place to drop that, and I think I did. Um, I, but, I know that. That was the right call. But yeah, yeah. so it's just like, yeah, th- this poor lady is just having the worst time, and it's kind of just like, this is really just Holmes and Watson's attempt to, like, listen, your life has really sucked up till now. We're going to just try to make it suck a little right. less. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that's all that's all anybody can do. You can't fix the world. You can't fix everything. You can't uh you can't make it all okay. All you can do is try to make okay what's in right. front of you. And that's that's really all that can be asked mm-hmm. of anyone. All right, we've gotten way off track. So, they arrive at the Roylot yes. estate. Um where we are told there are usually some gypsies, <laughs> which, yeah, yikes, guy. For those of you who don't know, gypsy is not only no longer the preferred nomenclature for the Romani or the uh, mm-hmm. Eastern European peoples, it's also a slur against Egyptians because that's who white people thought those people were. So don't say, don't say gypsy. <laughs> don't say gypsy if, if you can, if you can help it. Although it does have the advantage of making, uh, Cardinal Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame seem even more yeah, racist than that's he a already good point. was. But yeah, anyway, so we, yeah, we've got these people on the, on the property who are, uh, basically kind of just like, they're basically the red herring of this story where it's Swatten. like, okay, they're the only other people around. So maybe they did it. And you, and you realize, you find out that like even up, up until they get to the house, even Holmes thinks probably it's, you know, one of these people. It was probably He's like, you know, Dr. Royal hangs guys. out with them. He, he knows them. He could easily, you know, 
maybe pay them to try to kill her or whatever. Like it's it's all they've really got to work on. Oh, really? Um Oh, that didn't even occur to me. I thought the implication was just because, you know, much like like a lot of Lovecraft's stories were just like and then an ethnic <laughs> appeared. And like I kind of thought the implication was, oh, well there's these band of not white people here. They they probably kill people. Oh, right? yeah, good That's, point. Yeah, it didn't even it didn't even occur to me. I would have just thought cuz like he you you kind of you freaking know that somehow Dr. Oil is behind it. So he's got the he's motive. Involved. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. I, I just figured that's what Holmes was probably thinking up until they get to the house. But so they sure. do get to the house and, um, go into like intense detail examination of the architecture of the house and the <laughs> everything. <Much>. Buttresses galore. <laughs> so they get into her room where the, the whistle sound has been heard from and Holmes spends a long time just examining it in minute detail he just flops down on the floor he's like oh excuse me for one moment and he just flops down on the floor and it's just kind of no 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 nicholas nicholas <laughs> nicholas what he says what he says is <laughs> yes please you will excuse me for a few minutes while i satisfy myself as to this floor <laughs> and then flump <laughs> and it just it was the weirdest damn way any human has ever said anything <laughs> it's very good um he pulls out his his magnifying glass and he's looking around and uh we observed two wait three very strange and very important things wait four (laughs) hold on (laughs) final answer (laughs) well okay and that honestly that's something i've noticed we've talked about how as these stories have gone on they've become much more aware that they are sherlock holmes stories and how those have certain traits and architecture Mm -hmm. and one of those is like Every time a detail is mentioned, some part of you is like, oh, I bet that's what killed him. Like, it's, it's, you're, you're kind of trained by the story to notice every little thing that's specifically mentioned. And you never know which of them are going to be relevant and which aren't until you mm. get there. But you usually are given clues as to what, like, you know, you'll have, like, detective saying something and then you'll have home saying something and how he responds to things that clients say or things that he sees like whether he like he'll always get surprised Mm -hmm. or he'll you know he'll stop for a second when he realizes something is important and so that'll kind of tip you off as the reader but you don't always know why you just know it is yeah you know which makes it a different kind of story because like the first one study in scarlet was just straight up we didn't know anything we didn't know what was important and we just watched sherlock solve it and that was a fun read Mm -hmm. it was fine but this is a different kind of story where we're given pieces and we're kind of working with sherlock and trying to put it together and that's one of the ways this story is a lot of fun i also we're gonna get to your four things i Mm -hmm. just want to say this before i forget i really love that this estate is like it's gone full forest temple from Ocarina of Time. Like the 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 wilds and nature are trying to reclaim it. Parts of it have broken down. Like it's it's a mm-hmm. fine old house, but it's an old house, and the grounds are overcome. And it's just like it's a really sort of spooky, not otherworldly yeah. necessarily, but as they go from London, which was you know uh industrialized Mm -hmm. and relatively clean and modern they just go into this place that's so dilapidated and gray gardensy and there was just a real moment of transition where it's like okay we're in a different kind of place right like the rules don't apply here basically exactly normal detective story don't apply here uh and yeah no absolutely like this place is this setting is awesome and like if it were in a video game or something i would love to just walk around the whole 
the whole house and, and just, just look, look at, it. at yeah. everything. It's got a real, uh, like, southern gothic thing yes, to it. Like, yeah. despite being in England, yeah, definitely very southern gothic. And it kind of, it's just how, I think in the way that, like, often in that, in those kinds of stories, the architecture and the environment kind of mirror the people that they're about. Like, Dr. Yes, Royal, kind of, he was yeah. this rich guy once, but now his life is falling apart and he's kind of just uh-huh. turned his surroundings into a jungle and that's, the house reflects that. An expression mm-hmm. of who he, yeah, it's exactly. Neat. Yeah, uh, in which, uh, in which gypsies represent, uh, cheetahs. <laughs> yeah, okay, so four yeah. things, four important things. Okay, the four, oh, that was me. Um, <laughs> four important things. So we observe that there has been a couple of new additions to the room. For one thing, the, um, there's a new bell pull installed and you find yeah. uh, the bell pull is what, uh, used to be like you would uh, it's it's attached by wires to the servants room in the house and you pull it and a bell would ring and the servants would yeah. know when where to go um because houses used right. to be that just that big um if you ever watch downtown abbey you see this uh from both ends so you you have a bell pull in there but the bell pull isn't attached to anything it's just on a hook it's just hanging right. next to the bed and it's so long that the end of the rope is like resting on the pillow uh so you've got this mm-hmm. rope suspiciously uh, that goes from the ceiling and connects to the bed. And at the same time, um, another interesting detail about the bed, which is very weird, is it's bolted to the floor. So, like, you couldn't move mm-hmm. the bed if you wanted to. Uh, you couldn't move it away from the bell pull. It's it's there. They have to, it has to stay there. Um, the third thing you notice is that there's a vent. There's, like, a ventilation shaft for you know, air conditioning or whatever, um, that go, but it doesn't go from the house to outside, which would make sense for ventilation. It go, just goes from the sister's, mm-hmm. uh, the dead sister's room to Dr. Roylet's room, which is how she, she could have smelled him smoking cigars. She mentions like one of the things that she observed on that night was that she could smell him smoking, uh, and staying up. Right. So that's strange that there's that and yeah and they, the best excuse for this because holmes says what a fool a, bull, a builder must be to open a ventilator into another room when with the same trouble he might have communicated with the outside air and helen responds this is also quite modern <laughs> and i just i love the idea that like yes it's the latest in stupid architecture it's <laughs> right. just I, I don't know it it made me it made me really happy because it just it reminded me of like some really stupid useless thing that's like oh yeah it's the latest thing it's it's real bad, mm-hmm. but I got but it. It's, but and it's new, just, so it must. I don't be, know. You know, yeah. It's the latest. It's like there was an episode of Arrested Development in one of the new Netflix seasons mm-hmm. where Lindsay and Tobias were were signing up for a mortgage in a house, like at the worst possible yeah. time. And the guy was like, "Well, uh, this this house also has like a six car garage." And every ridiculous thing he said, their response was, "Well, let's just get it, and then we'll have it." Because that way yeah. they'll have it, you know, and it's just, and it was such a realistic thing. And this is the same sort of thing. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, a ventilator from this, and that way the rooms will be connected. Why do you want them to be connected? Well, that way they'll, they'll be connected. Like, it's just yeah. like, it's, it makes no sense, but there's no, and she's not in a position to question it. She doesn't right. know how. It's like, I, I guess we're just doing this now, yeah. Just connected rooms. Yeah. Do. So, so, yeah, so there's that. And then also, um... So, so Holmes goes outside and he tests the window. Uh, he's just trying to find out how someone could have possibly gotten in or anything. How, like, how could this, you know, have, how, what's going on? What are the and rules? And it kind of just shows you that the, you know, every, everything that you could possibly think of is 
it wouldn't work. Yeah, there's a fireplace, but it's blocked by metal bars, you know? There's a window, but once you shut it and lock it, there's no way to get in. Like, you can try everything you can't get in. There's, you know, there's a ventilation shaft, but, like, a rat could barely fit through it. You know, it's just like, what, you know, how is going on? But at some point in the middle of this investigation, I think Holmes does solve it. He Or he, like, figures out what... He, he gets his, um, suspicion. And I don't think you ever... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he ever tells Watson what he thinks no he just kind of is like yeah i think i I don't think he tells anyone because it's just so weird he doesn't want to be wrong and i get that like you know he's if he realizes that oh i think this might be a snake he's not gonna just say that because if he's wrong he'll look real dumb yeah which which is kind of i'm not gonna say it's out of character necessarily but the idea of sherlock worrying about being wrong (laughs) Is kind of, I, or, or or like not suggesting a ridiculous idea because he's afraid it might sound mm-hmm. ridiculous is just really really weird because normally he's like well obviously it was two pelicans dressed as a man <laughs> who went to the boxing match that night and and he just he lets everyone else right. feel stupid is usually his mo but I think I I think it is kind of another acknowledgement that they're just in a strange place where the normal rules don't apply because like. The people who live in this little village, mm-hmm. and again, like the whole the whole village arrangement isn't something we really understand in America. We've got towns and we've got cities, and that's about it. Right. But like, this is a small place, and this and Roylott is a terrifying cryptid, Mister Hyde, who just lives in his old dilapidated house and has cheetahs and baboons mm-hmm. and stuff just running around. He's 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 a monster living in a castle. Yeah. And so I I think. I think that is kind of a reflection of Holmes. Holmes is always sure of himself because he's Sherlock fucking Holmes. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that is kind of an indication that like, yeah, dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to tell you. Let's just figure out what else we can do for yeah. a minute. And, and that's, that's an excellent point though. I, I hadn't considered that, that he doesn't, cause I thought he was just keeping it to himself because he's Sherlock and he enjoys being precious and smarter mm-hmm. than everyone else. But you're right. Normally he at least clues Watson in even a yeah, little bit, but not this one. And again, like that, that whole, you know, explanation that you just gave is totally plausible and good, but also at the same time, you have to, take into account it could also just be doyle holding it back until the last possible second for shock yeah, that's value a that's a point <laughs> you know that's a point there's actually um there's a literary sort of analysis tool uh called uh doyleism versus Watsonianism. Heard of it, yeah. it's exploring explanations for things that happen in stories from an in-world perspective or from an author's mm-hmm. perspective and that 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 is a really good mm-hmm. explain example of that that we could be like oh yeah well this is the 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 meta analysis and it's like also, uh, Doyle just wanted to save it for maximum <laughs> punch at the end is probably a much better explanation. But I love, but that's the whole point of this, I think, is just to just explore both. I love exploring both. Like, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. I really do. And I love that you bring things to this that I would never consider, both because of your familiarity with Holmes just cause and, I know way and too much. thought process. <laughs> well, yeah, and just, be, you know, because you have a wildly different perspective than I do. It's one of the things I really enjoy. Oh, buddy. Thanks for Aww, making this with me, Nate. Dude. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. I'm really no, glad same, we did this. Yeah. So, they tell Helen, they say, mm. yo, okay, we're gonna call it a night. What you're gonna need to do, we're gonna need to spend the night in your mm. room, and you're gonna need to light a lamp in the window once uh, Roy Lott retires. And I'm not gonna tell you why, <laughs> Because I'm Sherlock Holmes. But just trust me. And she says, for pity's sake, tell me, what was the cause of my sister's death? To which is replied, no, we must build more tension. (laughs) Right, yeah. 
<laughs> I could tell you, but then we wouldn't have a rest. Right. It's book. like I. I, you know what though? To be fair, like even if we're not, even if ignoring Doyle for a second, even just purely in the story, if if you were Holmes, what would you? Do? I I wouldn't have the heart to tell this lady, this poor lady, that yeah. his her sister died by snake that's bite. Like that's horrible. You know, it's like I don't even know for sure yet. That's, if that's point. the truth. I'm pretty sure, but I don't yeah. want to just drop that on her. You know, like that's that's, that's really true. Rough. You don't drop a snake unless you have and, to. And, <laughs> So they, they head to the village, uh, the village mm-hmm. inn, not the place where you get pies, but in fact an inn at the village. <laughs> um, at dusk, Roylott drives home, and it's just, again, they're painting him as this just bestial monster yeah. that he's riding, riding this carriage that he's entirely too big <laughs> for, and that he's just harassing the poor little coachman who's, you know, trying to do everything for him. And Nick, I, I honest to God thought that the the little the little coachman who was described as acting somewhat erratically I I thought it I thought it was gonna be a baboon all dressed up <laughs> <laughs> like and <laughs> that he had trained with this to be guy? like a monkey butler maybe <laughs> well yeah that's and honestly that's I mean that's my desire for everything to be mm-hmm. ridiculous but also that is the kind of character that he has been set up as is that so, so you you know jaws I, I do i've heard of him there's that bit where quint is telling the story about how he was on the ship that went down the, the indianapolis i believe and like all of his mates got eaten by sharkums mm-hmm. and uh it's really dramatic really great scene but like the point of telling that story was to inform about quint's character that he never really came out of that water like he survived yeah. but he is very much still there and that's kind of what they're building about Roylot with this uh with all this shit cuz they they mentioned that he smokes uh strong indian cigars mm-hmm. they uh you know the the way the house is described it's almost kind of jungleish mm-hmm. and he's got all these animals from india and i think i think the implication is that he kind of never came home after his wife yeah, died. Yeah, like he just stayed in the jungle, basically. Yeah, exactly. He pulled he pulled a real a real Colonel Kurtz, mm-hmm. and it's um it's really sad. Like he's a he's a bad guy, and we're not really given any real enthusiasm for feeling sympathy yeah. for him. But it is it is just another weird thing. Like, well, shit. Sometimes your wife just dies, and then you go crazy. Like, sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a lot of it is where we are as a culture and a society right now where we're looking at things that are happening and we're realizing that there kind of is no explanation. Like I, you know, I, I, I personally believe in a God or maybe mm-hmm. several. I don't know. But like, I also believe that when people say things happen for a reason. Yeah. The reason is that the universe is a machine made of glass and inconceivable cold. <laughs> and like, there is not one naturally occurring atom of mercy or justice or compassion <laughs> in this universe. And so. Like it is, it is our job to manufacture it, right? That's the point. That's where we gotta. That's where we gotta do for each other, kids. Is we gotta, we gotta do everything we possibly can, or else we're all just gonna be crazy old, uh, racist murderers killing people with snakes in in mansions that we have let fall into jungle disrepair. And uh, I, I feel like that's just where we are as a culture and a society right now. <laughs> I just gotta say, this is my favorite episode so far that we've recorded. <laughs> and you know, we'll, I could say this. When things get really bad in society, it's uh, a really bad time for art, but it's also a really good time for art, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean. And I say, 
I say things are bad in society. I'm not a fucking four year old in a goddamn concentration <laughs> right. camp right things now. Have so never, like, and also, if you think about could it, things be have never been for good me. for everyone. You know, someone's always getting, you know, getting it just the worst. Getting got. Yeah. yeah. Uh, enough details. <laughs> so after that, um, that's not true. There's there's no such thing as enough details. <laughs> so anyway, the snake. <laughs> this this <laughs> so this. Let me tell you about this snaky boy. They camp out at the village mm. inn. Uh, Roy Lott drives home abusing his poor cabman. And as always, there's there's usually this sort of disclaimer bonding moment where Holmes says, Yo, Watson, this could be dangerous. Yeah, no sweat, mate. <laughs> it's mm. cool. I'm here mm. for it. But you but you might have you might have seen something I didn't. And there's this customary moment of Watson sort of like being just sort of, well, but you're so smart, Sherlock, and I am but a wee mm-hmm. doctor who was in the fucking war. <laughs> I don't know. And Holmes says, no, nah, you saw everything I did, man. It's mm-hmm. fine. You saw, I just deduced a little more, which is kind of a recurring theme here that Sherlock repeatedly, he's very aware that he's Sherlock fucking yeah. Holmes, but he's also, he's also very emphatic that he's not really anyone or anything special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he just goes about it a little differently, that what one man can do, another right. man Right. Like can he do. just knows a little bit. He's just a little better at observing things than everyone else. Like he's, but he's still human. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of two. Yeah, you get two really nice kind of reoccurring things that I like. Is one is that you know Watson's kind of. It's two ways that Holmes treats Watson that I just think are like really nice and just honest with how friendships work. I think one is that mm-hmm. Watson's like kind of he'll every now and then he'll be like, oh, I don't know, like or he'll like try to give his opinion on something. And he'll be like, oh, but I'm probably wrong. You know, you, you, you know this so much better than me. And Holmes right. will kind of just give him a little credit. He'll be like, no, you know, you're, you're really close or whatever. And sometimes he'll do it jokingly or yeah. like in a way that it's kind of like fake mean, like, you know, kind of where he's making fun of him, but not in like a nasty way. And then there's another thing where like you kind of get this every time they're about to go do something dangerous that Holmes knows is dangerous. He, I think, I think he really, like, I think he assumes, I think there's this, like, awareness that Holmes and Watson both have that, like, they are on the same level, but Holmes always extends Watson that just, like, this, it's almost like a courtesy thing of, like, hey, this is gonna be dangerous, are you sure you're gonna come? And Watson's like, of course I wanna come, I, I brought my gun, right. like, I'm ready, but, <laughs> but Holmes right. kinda just, every time he, just gives him that opportunity to bail out. And I'm just kind of like, why he does, does he do that? You know, it's like, is it really just like, is he actually worried that Watson is going to be like, does he not want to put Watson in danger? And he wants to give him the opportunity to like, not, not come if he doesn't have to, or does he genuinely think that Watson mm-hmm. might be wanting to bail and he has to make sure, like, I don't know, you know, what do you think? So Holmes, like the Vulcans, <laughs> um, it is not that Holmes does not feel emotion, mm-hmm. right? It is rather that he feels it much, much too deeply and so must distance himself from it or be overwhelmed, right? right? Well, sometimes, depending on the story, mm-hmm. whatever. No, I absolutely but the point is, yeah, agree, for sure. He's a real, he's a real Sarek mm-hmm. over there. But I think it's kind of an effort to save himself because as smart as he is, as capable as he is, Holmes has been gotten the better of, Mm. and things have gone wrong before. And usually when things go wrong, he's capable enough to adjust and adapt and improvise, but, like, they could get killed at any time. And I think... Like, the danger is real. He doesn't want Watson to get hurt. Yeah. 
the danger is real at any given yeah. time, especially when you're in uh, when you're in a small mansion that is basically a different country. Um, mm-hmm. And I I think he he wants to give Watson the chance. He knows he knows Watson won't take it. Watson mm-hmm. is here for adventure and for being with his buddy <laughs> Sherlock. But mm-hmm. also it is it is a courtesy. I think it's an acknowledgement. He wants Watson to know that he knows this is dangerous and is thinking of him. Like it's a real it's a real reflecty back and forth like I want you to know that I know this is dangerous and I don't want you I don't think you're going to say no but I want you to know that it would be okay if you did. It's a real overthinky friendship yeah. thing where like you talk to your friend who produces all your podcasts <laughs> and you say, "Hey bro, I would love to learn how to edit some and love to help you with this, but I also don't want you to think that I think you're not good at it when I say that what I mean <laughs> (laughs) is that I would love to help you and you just and you end up over explaining but Holmes and Watson because they are fictional characters Mm -hmm. have mastered the art of not over explaining (laughs) they just understand each other when they say things in a way that I I very much wish was possible in real Mm -hmm. life so there's that and I think I think if anything happened to Watson Holmes would never forgive himself because he is at heart an extremely sentimental extremely emotional creature and while he doesn't display a great deal of sentiment his memory is long yeah. and i i think if anything ever happened to watson because holmes didn't give him that out because holmes didn't stop and think for mm. a second like is this really a scenario that's going to be okay to bring my right. body into um he would blame himself for the rest oh, of yeah, his life oh yeah for sure and he always puts uh a lot of thought into bringing Watson into situations that he knows are dangerous. He, I think he always is constantly yeah. like evaluating Watson's stats, you know, as a companion, as to whether he can handle this, like how, how likely is it that he'll like, w- what's going to be going on probably. And like, can he handle it? And, you know, Watson being a soldier, yeah. he's got, you know, he's got pretty good stats because he's seen some shit already. Yeah. His HP is pretty high. His HP is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very possible to wander into a higher level encounter than you realize. And, uh, yeah, you gotta go back to your old save file because you get your ass handed to you by a dragon or something. Especially shit. with this specific scenario where there's like, it's, it's kind of unusual because there's a wild animal involved and people are a lot, there are there's several, several wild, wild animals, animals and people yeah. are a lot more predictable to homes, I think, than wild animals, which is just how it is. Yeah. And so there's, yeah. I think Holmes has accepted and is okay with the fact that in his line of work, uh, he could just not come home at yeah. any time. I think he's accepted that that is the price of doing business as Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes. Uh, one of the one of these days, he's just gonna get outsmarted, and every single day is rolling those dice, saying, "Okay, let's." You know, my, my assumption today is that I'm gonna be smarter than whatever murderer or whatever I come right. up against. But one day, he's gonna gamble and lose, and that's gonna be the ball game. And he's okay with it. he like he's yeah exactly his life to this. Yeah. There's no question. Like he would definitely rather die already than not be doing detective stuff. So, but Watson. Correct. Is, but he can't ask right, Watson exactly. to do he, that. He knows yeah. that Watson's not a detective. It's, it's not the same with him, so he just needs to make sure every time. And I just think that's neat. I think that's nice. <laughs> I do, too. It's it's a really great examination of friendship. And, like, we look back at Victorian times. I say Victorian. I don't know when those years actually were. This this was Victorian. It's still time, Victorian, right? yeah. In Victorian? Mm-hmm. God we save look the queen. back and we see that those people, God save mm-hmm. the queen, uh, we see that those people were so repressed and stuffy and toxic and whatnot. And mm-hmm. that's true. There was a lot of that. But also, like, the depth of friendship and 
male companionship right. w- without even like without even like quotes around it because you can make all the gay jokes about Holmes and Watson you want they may they might not even be jokes and that's completely yeah. valid oh yeah no absolutely yeah but like there's also an angle to look at it if the gay angle isn't your thing the gay <laughs> angle is not for <laughs> everyone there's an angle to look at it where it's just an incredibly wholesome genuine male friendship a brotherhood sort of thing that is very sweet and very touching in a way that is difficult to portray oh, these yeah, days. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because it's so, there's a lot of, it's so self-aware. It's just like, there's so much more. I think, I think obviously that with all that was wrong with Victorian England and how much we don't want to go back to that, I think we could, right. They, they were definitely much more okay with men showing emotion. And I think now in yeah. the modern day and especially in America too, as Americans reading this, um, it just seems so mushy to us, but in reality, it's just like, no, men were just, they would just, they were allowed to be friends with each other and it wasn't weird or gay, yeah. you know? It's like, I, as yeah. a person who like, just really just loves Sherlock Holmes from every, I'm, I like looking at it from every possible angle. What originally, you know, attracted me to the stories was when I first read through the story, I wasn't like looking for like gay content or anything. I was just, like appreciate it at face value and the friendship just really got to it really i know they're fictional characters but it's like you know doyle had friendships that were like this that he was basing this off of because like he spoke from experience and you know as someone who is very lucky to have male friends that i feel very close with and that we're not afraid to you know tell each other we love each other and you know like be safe and stuff like that we've said it in this yeah exactly like it's like it's that's just really nice to see and it's like it's refreshing you know as someone who's very often you know i don't know just men in general are told to like you know don't be don't be gay don't rely on your friends don't be mushy but it's like no do <laughs> you know which which all of course does eventually unfortunately boil down to misogyny mm-hmm. because I mean, that math, the way the math delineates is, if you're too close with your friends, that means you're acting like a gay. What is a, what is gay? Being gay is acting like a woman with men, and that means acting like a woman. It, it all boils down to essentially women are bad, do not right, be like yeah. women. Um, which, which is nonsense mm-hmm. bullshit for, I, 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 for reasons that are too obvious, honestly, even mm-hmm. to go into. But you're right. The, the fact that he was able to portray this, means that he he had that and he felt that and uh that is wonderful yeah. so hashtag wholesome masculinity Absolutely. well done so uh let's see here oh yes the stoner signal is lit <laughs> <laughs> they see from their position in the village in uh, that uh that she has that she that, that gondor calls yeah. for aid um you know what which is honestly tolkien as well all the men in lord yep. of the rings very openly affectionate with each other in ways that would make men extremely uncomfortable today. A mm-hmm. lot, lot of, lot of hugging. They cry. They say that they love each other. And, uh, I'm, and I'm like, here for it. Men, right. you got emotions. Express them or it's going to kill you. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. And as someone, I mean, it's weird coming. I mean, I obviously sound very biased coming from my perspective because I actually am gay. So obviously I want to see these right. relationships as that as well. But I'm definitely a right. person where like at the same time, I want everyone to have their own like i'm like even it varies on like different days like some days i read the stories and i'm like damn this friendship is like really like this this friendship you know and other days i'm just like oh well they're married you know it's just like but that's the thing is they're fictional characters it doesn't matter you can interpret it however you want yeah and should yeah it's not the story it's what you get from right like i'm not gonna shoot down people who are being like oh they were just friends you know and i'm not gonna shoot down people who are like well they're gay that's the end of it i'm not gonna change my mind and yeah it's it's a story they're fictional like it's whatever you want it to be. Well, and that's 
that's that's what it is with all art. It's not what's there. It's what right, you see. Yeah. So Gondor calls for aid. The beacons are lit, and uh, they head over to the Roylet manse. So Helen Stoner is. So the plan is. Comes and watch, she she lights the beacon, tells them that it's safe. Roylet's gone to his room. She's going gone to bed in quotes, right. and she goes to her sister's room or no, she goes to her room, which is dilapidated, but it you know is she can she can stay there with relative safety, uh, the room that's not connected to the snake hole. Uh, <laughs> and Correct. They and Holmes and Watson go. I thought they shut the snake hole down. The what? Didn't it not pass some like health and safety? This is a part oh. of red joke. No, <laughs> Sorry, never no, mind. Okay, right over my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Don't worry about it. No, <laughs> but swing and a miss. <laughs> but yeah. Um. So they go to so and then they stay the night in her room and they just are kind of there's just this really tense kind of scene where no excuse yeah. me Nicholas. <laughs> Where they're driving up to the mansion, when out from a clump of laurel bushes... Oh, the most bushes, important part of the story. <laughs> there darted what seemed to be a hideous and distorted child. <laughs> they just kind of have a startlement, and then... Then he broke into a low laugh and put his lips to my ear. <laughs> it is a nice house, he murmured. That is the baboon. I love this just random jump scare where they're just like, they're sneaking up to the house. Yes. They're like, you know, they're, oh, we're housebreaking, we're housebreaking. And then they just jump eight feet in the air. They're like, what the fuck is that? Like, they know, they know there's a baboon on the, like, you would think that they'd be prepared for that, but yet they actually see it and just both immediately just like instinctual fear. Well, yeah. And while Holmes like grabs Watson's arm and just like, they're both just like, ah, like, you know, like to themselves. It's so good. Exactly. Just full Scooby just jumps up into his arm. <laughs> right, like Scooby-Doo oh, kind of so like <laughs> Scooby and Shaggy thing. <laughs> and it's, I was, I was listening to the Flophouse the other day and they were talking about why some kind of suspense works in movies and some mm-hmm. doesn't. They were talking about how like in, Hitchcock movies mm. like if there's a bomb that suddenly goes off and you didn't know there was a bomb that's shocking but it's not suspenseful yeah. so if you know there's a bomb under the table that's ticking that makes the conversation suspenseful right. and like if there had never been any mention made of a baboon if it was just like oh yeah this guy brings weird animals sometimes and then just boom monkey mm. out of nowhere mm. like that <laughs> that would be shocking <laughs> but just knowing because I read it and I'm like that baboon's gonna show up, right? Like, yeah, that yeah, baboon's right. gotta be here somewhere. You can't <laughs> you mention a baboon it, you see it at some point. and not produce the baboon, Doyle. <laughs> um, and then, and then he says, "I had forgotten the strange pets which the doctor had affected. There was a cheetah too. Perhaps we might find it upon our shoulders at any moment, which probably means like it might attack us. But I think we were all picturing <laughs> just like a cheetah hanging <laughs> out." On Sherlock's shoulders, and he's like, elementary, Prime Minister Polka Dots, and bam, bam, and just like he puffs on a cheetah pipe. Oh my. Well, the best part God. is, because this is explicitly stated to be early in their career, we can imagine that Prime Minister Polka Dots is with them on every subsequent adventure, and I think that's what I'm wasn't mentioned, you know. Doing. It's like, he can't talk, so. Exactly, and also, Prime Minister Polka Dots it's an implied was there. <laughs> <laughs> this is some that's some rather deep literary analysis though that i don't expect the common listener to understand <laughs> exactly no yeah you gotta really you gotta really look for the, cheetah the implied cheetah it's an ancient literary device so anyway <laughs> it really is yeah it's one of the fundamental stories there's man versus society man versus god and implied cheetah implied cheetah <laughs> God. So, okay, so they're in this house. They're making <laughs> hella stealth rolls, uh, mm-hmm. lying in wait in Helen's room. Much tense, very wait. And also, now that I think about this, I think the gun, not to bring everything back to, but no, I think that the reason, I'm, I'm trying to think like, okay, so uh, 
I know Holmes always like tells Watson to bring his gun on a dangerous thing. I think the gun is for it has to be for Doctor Roylott, right? It's not like he's gonna expect like yeah. even if he knows it's a snake, how are you gonna hit a snake with a gun? Like I don't know how good of a shot Watson is, but it's no, a no. snake. Like you're de- no snakes. Snakes is thin, dog. No, they uh uh-uh, no. And see here's. Like, we know it's a snake. We, spoiler alert. It's, it's a, a snake, snake. <laughs> in case you, yeah. <laughs> After we Sorry, said Slytherins. it like a dozen times. <laughs> God, it's a snake. But like, there's no hint, there's no hint that it was a snake. That is not, we're, we're given, we're given puzzle pieces yeah. throughout the story and you can kind of put them, put them together and kind of see the shape. Sort of, yeah. Like you see, oh, there's a connecting tube between these two rooms. That's probably something to, there is no way that you could just fabricate a snake-shaped puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. That is not a reasonable ask. Right, it's, so no, I don't think the gun was for the <laughs> snake. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> okay, there, they're in the room. Tell us what happens in the room. So guys. yeah, so they're waiting in the room in the dark. It's very dramatic, and yeah, like, as you do. do. And all of a sudden, the baboon could be anywhere. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you hear this. Um, I don't know if you you don't hear anything. You just see Holmes freaking out suddenly. You do. You no no. You hear you something. Oh yeah. Quote, once once at our very window a, was a long drawn uh wine a long drawn wine sound which told us that the cheetah was indeed at liberty. Oh yeah. And cheetah at liberty might be my favorite sentence in all of that's literature. That's my new indie band. <laughs> exactly. That's that's my new classic Cartoon Network era cheetah show at liberty. It's from the producers of Sheep in the Big City. Cheetah running for office. <laughs> exactly i'd vote for him he won't change his spot <laughs> god it's so good i'm sorry i just couldn't let that pass i couldn't let you couldn't you're liberty, right uh pass you're absolutely mention. right carpe that dm so <laughs> so there's a cheetah. so yeah basically you up until now holmes knows it's a snake <laughs> the readers know it's a snake because we've said it 18 times but at, yeah. In the story, you don't know it's a snake yet, but Doyle does give you as many clues as he possibly could, and yet, like, you know, he, he's he's basically, re- he references all the other wild animals a lot. So, you're, like, right. hopefully not thinking that it's actually a person at this point. You know, you're, like, something is... It's an it's elephant. It's gotta be something. It's, it, but, you know... It's a hippopotamus. It? And... Then it's like there's the there's a saucer of milk. They oh they examined Doctor Roylott's room too. We don't we never mentioned that, but they um, did. Yeah, no, we we passed over that. They very they examined Doctor examine Roylott's room and they found a saucer they find of milk a, unsuitable for cheetahs. Like, way too way small. Too, cheetahs is big. Right, I know, boys. It's, like, it's so freaking funny because they like they find this tiny saucer of milk, and you're like, and Holmes is like, do, well, do you guys keep a cat? And she's like, oh. we don't keep a cat. We have the cheetah. And he's like, this is way too small for yeah. a cheetah. <laughs> need a big cat. This too small. This is- <laughs> This is a tiny little. I'm not here to tell you how to raise your like, cheetah. I'm just I'm not saying. an expert, but it would appear to me that a cheetah's mouth is much too no. large for this. It could, it's like one it's, lap yeah, of milk for a cheetah. I just I don't <laughs> want I don't want your cheetah to go neglected. And there's that. a dog leash too, like a really thin dog leash, and it but it's looped so that it's just this tiny little like like hoop basically. And then again, it's like yeah. way too small for cheetah. <laughs> like, yeah, this is no, very strange. Che- <laughs> and just. I can't get over this cheetah. I'm sorry. Prime Minister Polka Dots is just my favorite character in all of fiction now. Just going around in a top hat with little holes cut out yeah. for his ears. Oh, he's so little fancy. Little he's bow tie. going out on the town. He's going to win your votes. <laughs> Parliament. Parliament. Okay. So, yeah. they. Okay, there's a horrible sound. Yeah. And Sherlock, 
uh, starts freaking mm-hmm. out on the bell pull yeah. cord. He just whipping at it, whipping. Yeah, at he's it. got like a sti- he says, he's got a Watson, stick. You see it? Says, you see it, Watson? Oh, no, nope. I don't. It's dark <laughs> because it is dark, <laughs> I don't see shit, my guy. <laughs> 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 yeah, but at this point, no, but and at that, that point, it's like been, they've been totally silent. They've been whispering to each other. But at this point, by the time Holmes gets up, he's just yelling. <laughs> he's just screaming. He's like, Watson, do you see? Like, he's just, he's just fear right now. Just fear instinct, primal. Like, I gotta, I gotta get this. Like, I was right, and now I am scared. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is not a great series of events. <laughs> and so he he whacks at the snake, and you assume you don't, you know, Watson doesn't see it, so you don't see it. But there's a snake, and it he he hits at the snake, scares it, um, and it goes back in through the hole. And then you just hear this blood curdling scream from Doctor Roylock's yeah. room. <laughs> and if you're me, you're like, good. <laughs> um, so, right. And the snake goes back, bites Roylock. They run back into his room. And I think Helen is there too. She comes out and they, they are all, all in his oh, office yeah. or room and, uh, and Dr. Roylott's there. He's sitting in his chair. Um, super dead. Super dead. Like the snake is wrapped around its head and you can see it. Uh, it's like yellow. Forming with the, a speckled, the speckled band. Oh, there, yeah. oh, there it is. Yeah. It's the thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, spoiler alert. It was a snake. Uh, and. <laughs> It was a you didn't catch on by now um uh with our 27 clues uh so yeah so yeah. he yeah he's super dead and uh so yeah I, I mean holmes basically indirectly commits murder in this story if you holmes okay first of all he throws the snake into a safe like you, you do know, <laughs> i thought about this a lot while reading this story how what kind of i just want to know what kind of safe this <laughs> i i how is the snake None of this makes sense. You know, Doyle looked up, Doyle looked up one thing about snake science before he wrote that story and it was, are snakes real? (laughs) Are there snakes? (laughs) Snakes bad. Snakes poison. Yes, snake. And readers, if you look at, uh, it mentions like the kind of snake it is, like it's like a West Indian viper or something. The snake doesn't exist. It's a fictional snake. He doesn't even use a real animal. It's not a real thing. It's a fake snake. So he's like, get over it guys. This kind of, this kind of snake does drink milk. Okay. (laughs) Just shut up. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So okay. The, 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 the long and short of it was that the bowl of milk was not for a thirsty <laughs> cheetah boy. No, it was for a it was for a good snaky boy assassin. So the thing they put together is that Roylott, in his lust for what was actually not too terribly much money, but enough money to kill two you people. You know, for, yeah. Apparently. If you're that guy, if you're nasty enough, had uh had set up this this entire elaborate fucking mousetrap mm-hmm. scenario whereby he trained a snake which nope but he <laughs> trained a snake to go through this little this little porthole into the other room to use the non-functioning airsots bell pole as a little snake ladder an adder ladder God. and go down you know and and just murderate this woman and super then spy dodging the lasers repel from the ceiling but it's just, a snake yeah just smells just just snake slithers spy. in a way that spells a snake it's just yeah. <laughs> then he comes back and he gets his gets his good saucer of tasty tasty milk for being such a good little slither boy that's not how snakes work <laughs> reptiles can't digest dairy p.s. <laughs> I looked this Reptiles, up. Reptiles, they can't digest dairy. They can't contract or carry rabies. There's a lot reptiles can't do. And uh, this is this is on that list. And it's a velvet 
bell paw. Those things are made of the softest. Yeah. Sli- they, you how how would it go? I, and it's so funny because like in the episode of this too, in the fucking Jeremy Brett episode, they have to show this obviously because it's TV. But it's so like obvious right. that the snake is barely touching the rope because it Aww. it's just like someone's obviously just holding it, and it's like snakes can't do that. They can't. It's too snakes slippery cannot. for little snakes. Snakes cannot. This is an extremely unrealistic depiction of snake capabilities. This is going to give <laughs> bad expectations. This is just, it's more, it's snake Suspension misrepresentation. Totally we need ruined by snake facts. God. <laughs> it's so good. It's hashtag snake facts. I love this story. Okay. So yeah. And they, they see, they see Helen Stoner off to live with her sudden and convenient aunt. Who I don't believe has been mentioned up to this I point. Don't remember, but you know, every 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 nice you know civil single lady has has a nice aunt they can go to in case well, of. Yeah, but like, why didn't she just go live with her? I don't know. then. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. This, this snake stepdad. I'm calling I Doyle know. right now. I gotta I gotta tell him about this. Well, I okay. Well, the the answer the answer is you did the, a bad one, Arthur. The principle of. <laughs> The principle of narrative momentum or whatever it's called on TV tropes, because then no story, yeah. obviously. So that's fine, whatever. But yeah, Holmes Holmes actually says basically at one point, yo, uh, Watson, I just realized I'm pretty directly responsible for that guy's death and uh, TBH. I know exactly. Like it. the very end of the story <laughs> is just him being like, you know, if you think about it, we kind of indirectly killed this guy. But you know what? He was, exactly. I, I can't really can't really be bothered to give a fuck you know yeah it's really just awful. Yeah, i was gonna say if you, you know what you know what else holmes you know what else if you think about it fuck that guy that's <laughs> no. what so Holmes just like you know we get we killed that guy and was just like mm, i won't say anything if you won't uh, I did, <laughs> and they did don't we, did we? Well, and that's the know, end of the story to quote to quote dylan spencer <laughs> Um, one of my favorite sayings in life, because the more I, the more I think about it, the more I find places to apply it in life. A very sage and wise man, that Dylan. Dylan is so wise. Uh, it's, but this, this phrase, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna get tattooed somewhere, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's play stupid games, win stupid prizes, asshole. <laughs> Including the asshole. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's key. And like, yeah, dude, I mean, would it have been preferable not to kill this guy who has clearly had a rough go in life his own self? I mean, yeah, it would have been preferable to just bring him in for snake murder. <laughs> um, if only, if only for precedent, because like we were talking before we started recording, like what is the legal arrangement for, like if you throw a snake at a dude and snake bites dude, like, I mean, obviously you bear, you, you bear moral and ethical right. responsibility there, but like, what's the legal arrangement vis-a-vis using animals <laughs> as weapons? I'm sure modern day there's rules about that, but this is Victor. I, I right? feel like they wouldn't have even, what would they, I feel like they wouldn't know what to do with that. No. Kind of, they're just like, this is really, we gotta make up a new law right now. This guy just killed someone with a snake. Assault with a deadly critter. It's just, I don't know. It was, it's, it's bonkers. And then it ends. It's yep. just over. It's just, it's just done. There's no wrap up. And Watson even says, like, to wrap up this narrative, which has gone on too long already. <laughs> and I was like, I feel seen, but all right. I don't know. It's just, it was a very strange story and I enjoyed it a lot. It was great. Yeah. No, it's, you, you got a nice little, like, he got what was coming to him. For the bad guy. He did. And it's just like, you know. And more than this, the implication is that that baboon and Prime Minister Polka Dots are st- well, okay, Prime Minister Polka Dots is going home with Holmes and Watson, oh, yeah. obviously. He's their, he's their new, their new mascot, their best friend, and their, per- their partner in, uh, matters Before of business. Before he ascends to, uh, but like, becomes well, a yeah, you know, the election season's not coming, yeah. But like, that baboon, still out there. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Just yeah. Roaming the, <laughs> it really Roman is. Roaming the English and countryside. Can you imagine just being some random exactly. person in the village that now you just have to deal like you're just walking along getting you buying your milk or whatever and you just look up the street and there's just a baboon from the jungle yeah. just hanging out just perching just looking at you is there victorian and, animal God, control it's, it's we don't know john mulaney does a bit about how the trump there's a baboon is like loose a horse in the english countryside in a hospital <laughs> exactly yes <laughs> and it's just you'd constantly be on the lookout for a baboon and the worst bits would be the days you don't see the baboon <laughs> God. what's it doing it's out there somewhere exactly it just becomes english bigfoot like, at that yeah, point correct god <laughs> awful well and i wondered and again i don't i don't know from the time periods mm-hmm. but like poe edgar Allan poe was considerably before this right and he, he was wrote a bit before this yeah was it was just a bit not, yeah and he yeah. wrote a thing he wrote a thing where it turned out to be a monkey a gorilla or an ape or something i yeah. know and i know that is the one that the scholars do not talk about <laughs> because apparently with varying interpretations, it's either a story that makes no sense or it's hella racist. Oh. So they just leave it alone. They just don't discuss yeah. it. But like, I, I have to wonder, I have to wonder if this was a, like a shot or a reference to that because we've seen that. We've seen that Doyle is not above like putting little snarky shout outs and shots to other people yeah. in his work. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Was it just like a I mean, red, he establishes a red, a red himself hairy? as an Edgar Allan Poe fan, so. God, yeah, this was, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Adventure of the Noble Bachelor was fine. Mm. It was fine. It was, uh, uh, it was a neat little scenario that Doyle clearly just woke up and realized he needed something to get to the publishers on mm. Monday. It was fine. But, uh, this one was a oh, ton it's a of good fun. Time. <laughs> and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And if, if more, if more stories turn out to be like this, I think we're gonna mm. have a lot of fun. Uh, I cannot, I cannot get over this fucking cheetah in victorian london i don't know why but for some, it's that's not where they belong walking down the street <laughs> it's well, not where they're supposed cold to for them there it's too wet for a cheetah we'll give him a coat he'll just that's walk not enough milk for the just, cheetah just going down to haberdasher god <laughs> prime minister polka dots you're so great he's like the denmark jake had of victorian i can't kids. okay all right all right, what are we reading uh, next? I don't know. You, you got that list of the, like, five or whatever that I gave you last time? Oh, probably. Uh, yeah, let me... Well, no, you told me to pick a number between one I and five. I did. This is a very chaotic method of picking stories, but I like it. I could honestly... Just... It is. Well, I love... Yeah, I put together this list of the canon, and I was like, yeah, we're going to do this thing, and that just immediately oh. dissolved. Oh, no, okay, I got um... it. Never mind. Don't even pick a number. I know which one we're doing next. It's okay. the Red-Headed League. The Red yes. Headed League. You heard it here first, listeners. Well, I heard it here first because we're recording this and then you'll listen to it. But yes, the Red Headed League. So read that one next time. Give me, give me the, give me the episode, the, uh, elevator pitch for the Red Headed okay, League. Okay. So is it a bunch of stuff? Uh, no. So this guy. Is it the Weasley? This, this Red Headed guy gets hired. The fact that he's yeah. Red Headed is important. Gets hired for a very strange job and it's copying out a sure. dictionary. But the job advertisement hmm. calls specifically for a Red Headed guy. And that's all I'm going to say. They say only redheaded people can okay. apply for this position. And he gets to the job, and it's okay. something really strange and menial. And you're sitting there like, this is obviously a cover for something. But the dude that – he takes the job. This guy is peak dumb. He's so dumb. And the just collision of him and Holmes and just the whole scenario is – obviously, there's darker undertones later on, as you find out. But the beginning is right. just a riot. 
It's so good. I can't wait for you to get all right. Your, on. I can't wait to yeah, get no, I'm, your I'm very excited. It. <laughs> it sounds like it's it sounds like it's going to be another fun one. And like while we were reading uh the the Noble Bachelor, which was a very mm. short story, but man, did that take yeah. a while to read? I I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like part of me was like, is, is this what I signed up for? <laughs> is it just Holmes sitting in a room being precious and solving crimes from his <laughs> armchair? Because like I enjoy recording with my buddy Nick, but who boy? Oh no, story. I. But like if there are going to be more, if there are going to be more ridiculous gimmick stories, no, I'm trust here me, I would not have signed you up for this if i did not know what you like and trust okay. me like this this redhead cool. league is definitely more in the vein of this one the speckled band than no cool, cool, cool. well and like different different people enjoy different things i don't know maybe some people liked the noble bachelor there's a nice variety in the it. stories for sure like as we've already seen yeah. only having read four so far yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the range <laughs> fucking doyle just like you know what I, you know i i saw this uh I went to the museum. I saw some animals. I want to write a story with some animals. <laughs> Arthur, just, God, Arthur I Conan, know. I do what I want, Doyle. <laughs> exactly, yes. Okay, well, all right. The Red-Headed League, all our buddies, uh, yeah. read it next time. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the Final Podblum. You can probably find our individual Twitters there. Feel free to you can join our Patreon. Uh, it's called Semi Auto Magic, which is the name of our sort of tentative podcast network under which we produce all our whatsises. Um, if you want, you can become a Patreon patron and get some bonus. Exclu- well, it's not exclusive content. We're thinking about putting episodes up a little bit early for Patreon members, so you could hear next week's episode this week in addition to this week's episode. This week, I think it might involve time travel, but I'm not 100% sure. So you can check that out. Uh, Until then, all our buddies, get at us. We'd love to hear what you think about the program. We'd love to hear what you think about Prime Minister Polka Dots (laughs) and his plan to get more good milk for good cheetahs. Until then, for the final podlum, I've been Casey. And I've been Nicholas Cohen signing off. See you next week. Until next time, all our cats and kittens, don't forget to... uh, Put a little picture of us up inside your Sherlocker door. Oh, God. <laughs> Bye, all our buddies. Mr. Polka Dots, he's trying to win your vote. He's gonna need it out in Parliament to get the legislation he wrote to make sure that all good cheetah boys can have a bowl of milk to say nothing of his baboon buddy and the other Indian ilk. It's Prime Minister Polka Dots. He's a little bitty kitty in the big old city and he hasn't been home in years. A prime minister's pay is not enough for a top hat with the ears cut out.